Well, you know what I think. I'm a Christian. I'm not going to deny that. I do want everyone to feel comfortable. That's why I'd like to talk to you about Jesus. Please do not go religious. Somebody's going to hell over there. He better not. Even the devil will speak the truth for, for his own purposes. This is war. Accept it. Back to Jerusalem podcast. Yeah, I'm back and I'm armed with righteousness. With your host, Eugene Bach. He just seems like he's got it all figured out. He's a righteous dude. Yep. Salam, aloha, howdy. Miles coming to you live on delay from the left coast of the United States of America. I'm speaking with my friend Eugene Bach. He's a favorite of yours, of ours, good friend, and currently coming to us from the northern parts of Europe. And we are just thrilled to speak today. You know, today is Tisha B'Av, which is the most difficult holiday in the Hebrew calendar. Before we talk about what's happening with Back to Jerusalem and Eugene's work, sending missionaries throughout the dark countries of the world, uh, I want to tell you that it's just uh, something about God's calendar. You know, God knows what he's doing. He knew that uh, my people, the Jewish people, would reject Yeshua so that the gospel could go out to the whole world. He knows now that we are coming back to him in droves more than any time since the book of Acts as we prepare for the return of Yeshua. Uh, we're watching just incredible things happen around the world. I'm excited about what I call strange bedfellows, where people from all backgrounds are starting to rise up in the USA and say, wait a minute, the powers that be have lied to us and we are seeing an awakening happening. I thought it would be an awakening in the church that becomes a revival in the church, but it looks like an awakening in the culture. God willing, the church will continue to be standing with what's happening. But Tisha B'Av stands for the ninth of Av, ninth of the month of Av. And it's, it's historically the time in Jewish history when both temples were destroyed in 586 BC, the first temple, and in 780, the second temple. Not only so, in 1492 on Tisha B'Av, Columbus sailed the ocean blue, but Ferdinand and Isabella kicked out all the Jews. We were, we were uh, sent out of Spain on Tisha B'Av around that same holiday. Same with England earlier. England, uh, exiled the Jewish people on the same holiday. It goes back to the story in Numbers about the spies who went into the land and came back with the unbelieving report. I don't have time today to go into the whole thing. I want to get to our time with, with Eugene, but you do need to know that the sin of unbelief is very serious. And for those of us who struggle with belief, we need to come to peace that we can do nothing. We just have to ask. And that's how you got saved. That's how you continue. That's how you know, it's by grace we're saved through faith, and that not of ourselves. It's a gift of God that no man can boast. And so we want to be the two spies. We want to be Joshua's and Caleb. Remember, Joshua 1.9 says, Chazak, be strong. And that's what we want to do. So it's always good for me to speak to uh, one of my favorite strong men, uh, which is our guest today, who is our guest today. Eugene Bach is a retired U.S. Marine sniper. Uh, I love to quote what he says about, his service, because I always thank him for his service, and he always says to me, I got more from the Marines than I ever gave to the U.S. military. So without any further ado, Eugene, thank you so much for taking the time to be with us. Thank you so much, brother. I love being on your podcast, love just hanging out with you and talking to you. Um, sometimes being on your podcast is like you and I sitting in a coffee shop, and we can go all day <laughs> feeding yeah, off exactly. each other's energy. So I love it. Thank you for bringing me back. 
So you're up in the thawing north. You're up in the summertime of the northern countries. Uh, you're working on three projects. I always like to update our listeners about Back to Jerusalem because one of my favorite ministries loves serving alongside of you, loves donating to you. People will have a way to contribute to your ministry. Uh, it will be in the show notes today. But we, we, I'm excited about you. that little jealous, little depressed by <laughs> your ability to crank out these books. I have one book to my name, and I have three in my brain. But man, <laughs> man, you have uh, the the means, the wherewithal, and the brain to be able to concentrate and crank out these books. And you have three that you're working on now. Can you tell us a little bit, a little uh, what you're doing now? Yes, uh, I I have three that I'm working on. But we did just we did just publish one, kind of. I just, if I could, I want to take a, a a side note on that one because it there there's a part of that that is just such a big thanks to you. You know specifically because um, you are a marriage counselor and this has been one of the hardest years of my life. The beginning of this year, I went through a very personal trial, tough trial, uh, self-inflicted wounds. Um, and during that time, I did what a lot of other Christians do and I, and I started to look at uh, books that are out there by authors that I admire on uh, you know titles that appeal to me and and specifically subject matter that applied to me. And maybe you don't feel the same way, Miles, but for me, I found that there's just so many books that are out there today that seem to have this common thread of dumbing down the gospel message. And not just when I say dumb, dumbing down, I'm not just saying like making it simple for evangelism's sake, but even the way that it's written and 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 some of the content matter, I feel is there's nothing original in it. Um, it, it a lot of the stuff feels like it's using very generic words. Um, there's no poetry in the language, if that makes sense. Uh, there, and and for the most part, a lot of it is just vanilla, where it it can really get you excited because it tackles a very difficult subject matter, but the answers are vanilla. And I feel like in some ways that doesn't that just doesn't do justice for a very complex God uh, with all of the different intricities in the, in the, in the Bible and the language of the Bible and the history of the Bible. And um, uh, one of the things that, that, that does is it makes me run towards these older authors like the C.S. Lewis's or the G.K. Chesterton's or the John Bunyan's. I came across a book that has mainly been forgotten. It's about 150 years old uh, from one of the early missionaries in China that served 60 years of his life. And this is during a time when you don't you don't have American Express, you don't have Visa cards, Holiday Inn. Uh, it takes like you know a year to get to China, uh, and it, that's a very deadly process traveling by ship across the world. And the way that there's there's this author that I found, um, uh, his name is Griffith John. His his Welsh, and he was the way that he writes was just so powerful and dense with knowledge and understanding of the Bible that you can't Google, you 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 can't uh, come up with thesaurus.com and find some of the words that he had to pinpoint exact meanings, and I just had chills. And even though China may not appeal to so many people. For me, going through one of the hardest times of my life, he wrote about subjects and ideas and concepts that 200 years ago, 150 years ago, still apply to me today. And he could have been writing this 
2023 when you and I are doing this podcast. Really, it was powerful. He wrote a book, a very simple book called A Voice in the Darkness, and we basically repackaged it and brought it out of of the archives and republished it, and it's now available on uh, our website at backtojerusalem.com. That was a very specific, heartfelt project for me, and uh, you were with me during during that time and, and provided counseling for me, and I'm very, very thankful for that. Well, you're very kind. Uh, I find that uh, it's interesting, Eugene, about 40, almost 40 years ago, a uh, mentor of mine was now with the Lord. He was uh, quite a character, a genius piano player, he actually traveled with Van Morrison. He was instrumental in me coming to the Lord. And he said the day would come when my counsel would change. And what I'm seeing is that I'm much more of a brother, a father, and a friend then I am a professional therapist, even though I'm still licensed and I still keep a counseling practice going. And, and so I'm, I'm what, by which I mean, I'm seeing the, the complexity and the beauty of the Holy Spirit more and more in counsel. I think it's indicative of what you're speaking about, that there's, we need more richness, not less. We need to move away from the, the self-esteem movement and participation trophies and start digging into the meaning of life on a, in a fresh way. And I love the older writers, too. I was, when you said the writers that you like, I was in the process of writing G.K. Chesterton, C.S. Lewis. And you, said, <laughs> you know, uh, everything old is new again. We have to go back often to uh, Derek Prince. I think about some of these thinkers and writers that, that had such a grasp that was not subject to the current uh, attention span and the, the pace of life today. So I'm going to get this book as soon as we get off the off the air together. I would love to get this from BTJ and also be able to contribute some extra money because what you do is so dear to my heart. So I want to encourage all of our listeners to get the book, to read the book, and to also, of course, support BTJ. So you're in the, you're up there in the north. You, you have a season that you're able to take away to sit and write without any encumbrances, I hope. And you're working on this uh, revisiting of the early missionaries to China, but you're also working on some incredible stories out of Iran and out of uh, um, China as well. I think yes. Yeah. So um, so I I have been working on a biography that's kind of a heart project for me. It came during this time. Um, God has just really been pumping this idea of writing about these heroes. So you're, you're, you were saying that, yeah, you've been able to write all these stories. These stories write themselves um, because they're testimonies. So I'm able to sit down with, with people and write down their stories. I've had the privilege of listening to some of these world heroes, these, these giants in the faith that have really suffered a lot for the gospel. And suffering alone doesn't make you qualified for anything. However, it is in those trying fires that so many come with the ideas that are not honed by uh, academia. They're not honed by you know someone's influence or teaching, but they they are brought about in a new way where Scripture actually becomes the foundation of salvation in hard times. That where they you know something a Scripture, and you've probably experienced this before, where you read a Scripture and it means something to you. And then you go through something that sucks. And then all of a sudden that scripture comes back and it means something completely different. And then you go through another time in your life where maybe you're having breakthroughs like never before. And then that scripture means something different. 
It's so amazing yeah. how God's word is layered for us. Um, and, uh, and no meaning is greater than the other. It's just what time it is in our life. You were talking about timing and how God's word just continues to unfold throughout times. And it's like, well, there's prophecy that's meant for us for in the future, but sometimes those prophetic words are for us today. They're individual. And then there's collective, you know, there's these different, these, these different, um, meanings of God's word for us during different times, not changing the, the word, but influencing us in different ways and, and speaking to us in different times. So there's this, there's, there's this missionary that many people have heard of. If you know anything about China, if you've never heard about China, then you probably have never heard of him. His name is Robert Morrison probably the most influential uh, missionary ever in the way that uh, he was the first one to ever go into China, the first Protestant missionary to go into China, went there with nobody and nothing. And the entire story of his trip is just rich. I mean, you have this ship that is put together by the London Missionary Society called the Duff. And this ship that is put together by the London Missionary Society that is sending out Robert Morrison, they have this idea that they're going to send missionaries to different countries and they can't do it from England because the East India Trade Company was the only ships that were going from England at that time to China and they they uh, worked in the opium trade industry and they felt that the missionaries would screw it up. They would get in there, they would preach against drugs, um, they would set people free from their addictions and mess up their entire enterprise. So they had a policy that they would not take uh, missionaries to China or India and uh, the crown backed that up because it was bad for business. And these missionaries went in and they got their own ship and they would have to go to America in order to come to China, which was a long way around. Anyway, long story short, um, the ship gets captured by pirates. The missionaries that were left in these uh, Polynesian islands were abandoned. They ended up dying by tribes eating them. Uh, some of them went mad and committed suicide, but a few of them hung on. They had no resupply. There was no phone, there was no telegram, there was no society in which they could connect with to get word back to England or England back to them. They were stranded, left forever. One missionary ends up bringing the king of that nation, which is today, modern day Tahiti. And so March 5th every year, they do a, a, a missionary day. Um, and it's a, it's a federal holiday in Tahiti where everybody takes it off and they remember the missionary that came on the duff. Um, there were just these great men of that time. So there hasn't been anything written about this particular missionary. His name's Robert Morrison, uh, for over a hundred years. So I just completed that book. It's an edit now. It will be out November 16th. So okay. we're really excited to, to share that specific story and how it intertwines with so many different aspects of world history that you have no, I mean, when we talk about America and England and China and India, Korea, um, this is the first time Robert Morrison going to China was the first time Korea was even mapped. Uh, I just, just amazing stories about how missions created the very first kind of identifiers for a timeline in those different Asian regions. Um, it's, amazing. It's one of your themes that in many of our discussions, I always hear the theme of where the gospel is, where Jesus is, life flourishes, things improve, education advances, the arts, literature, everything gets better 
when Jesus Christ is involved, when Yeshua HaMashiach is involved, everything gets better. And here's another example of that, where things were flourishing with the presence of the gospel. Yes. Uh, I love the story you tell about the, uh, I had no idea that there was the greatest dynasty. Could you tell that story? The greatest dynasty in China and its connection to the gospel? Yes, his name is Kang Shi. Um, actually, he's the reason why we call China, China today, because the emperor of China um, was a... Um, was so good. He'd been, he was the longest serving emperor in China's history. And whenever people look back, it's kind of like, you know, in America, if you say, who's the greatest president, many people will say George Washington, because he was the first. Some will say Abraham Lincoln, because that's when the slaves were set free. And, um, uh, in China, they will say Kang Shi. He was the, he was the great, um, emperor. And, uh, because the Persians knew it as Shinam, or Sinem, which is what the Bible also refers to China as Sinem, um, and uh, or they'll call Xin, which is uh, the Qing Dynasty, which is where Kangxi comes from. Gets complicated, but Kangxi becomes a believer, and um, and most Chinese have never heard this before. And he wrote poetry about how he gave us life to Christ, and he brought in missionaries, and in fact. Um, there was a there was a missionary, a Jesuit missionary, which was a Catholic missionary that went to Chengdu in the 1600s and started the very first Bible translation. Never never completed it, but um, started it under Kangxi, and uh, that Bible translation that was started it was Matthew, Mark, Luke, and then the Book of Acts that was being done by a guy by the name of Jean Barrett. Uh, he was French and. Um, uh, he only had a fraction of his Bible that was translated. That fraction was sent to England and given to a Lord. The Lord didn't want that to be just for his family. He wanted it to be for all of the, the public. So he started the very first National Museum for England using that Bible. And um, it was actually a, uh, a guy who found a vision, got a vision to get the Bible into the Chinese language, didn't have anybody to do it, found Robert Morrison and gave him this manuscript from the London Museum that was from Jean Barrett that came under this uh, Emperor Kangxi. Very powerful story. Supernaturally, I know that this is a little bit out there, but when we're talking about dynasties, you got to hear this. So this guy finds this Bible hidden in the back of the, the registry for the London Museum. And this is actually the very first documents that's there for the founding. It's why it was founded. There were other documents included. It wasn't just for the Bible, but this was a part of those original documents so that everybody in England could enjoy these precious um, uh, jewels and so they started this, this guy found it and he got a vision from the Holy Spirit, go into the streets. There's a guy who's willing to teach Chinese because at that time in China, if you taught Chinese to a foreigner, uh, it was death by execution. You could not teach the language, but God told this pastor, go and find this Chinese guy on the streets in London. He will teach the missionary that is to go. That missionary was Robert Morrison. This guy walks out onto the streets just wandering around, praying, and ends up finding the Chinese guy that leads him to this other Chinese student. And the Chinese student was brought over by a ship and then abandoned. And then a guy by the name of William Wilberforce 
paid for the mm-hmm. tuition for this Chinese to stay there and teach Robert Morrison Chinese so that China, so that Robert Morrison could go and teach Chinese. Now, for those of your listeners that are not familiar with William Wilberforce, he is the main person in the parliament of England, of, of the UK, that uh, pushed for abolition and is the main reason why slavery ended in China. And he connected with the guy who wrote a very special song that used to run a slave ship. And that song that he wrote was called Amazing Grace. Um, Very powerful story how these great men of that age really transformed the world that we lived in. And if you read their writings, that's why I go back to this, um, these older books. If you read their writings, wow, they will make the hair stand up on your body. I have a lot of questions for you. Okay, first of all, what is the... The English transliteration of Kangxi, so people can look it up. Look uh, it up. So Kangxi is K A N G X I. So that's how you spell it. Um, the Emperor Kangxi. So if you look up the Emperor Kangxi, and, and and if you want to Google it, just put in Christian, and what you will find is some of his poetry and his writing, and a little bit of his history about how he became a Christian. Phenomenal. Then, the Chinese Communist then, Party have tried to hide this. So it's not so yes. easy to find and it's not well known, but it is powerful once you learn about it. And did, was he also in the 19th century, 18th century, or was he well before that? In the 1600s. 1600s, great. Now, uh, the other question I have is, um, did you just tell me that it was illegal to teach Chinese to foreigners? Does that mean that there's... Racism, xenophobia in China? <laughs> the whole world was about as racist as you can get. None of them got more racist than the Chinese. Um, wow. they, they are very well known for being uh, super racist. But they also had a desire of protectionism. I mean, don't forget, yes. they are the nation with the Great Wall. And the reason they had the, the Great Wall was to keep the Mongols out from invasion. And it worked for quite yes. a long time until the Mongols finally uh, were able to come and take over. Uh, they did make it past the wall. They they were able to take over and um, and they became a part of the Mongol Empire. This is amazing. Okay, I, I, because of time, I don't want... I, we just, you know, like I say, we, we need all day. Okay, uh, let's, because I want to end with Iran because I have some stories to tell you about us in Iran. I wanted to go to Pakistan. Tell us about your book regarding the transformation of lives in Pakistan. Yeah. um, I I know that it can seem like a a bit of a mental overload jumping from China to Pakistan, but right now your listeners must pray for Pakistan. Um, I'm writing a story about a dear sister. Her name is Shagufta. You can look her up um, online. Uh, She is a believer um, that uh, grew up in a Christian family and something happened to her that is happening to hundreds of people uh, every year. Um, in uh, Pakistan, e- e- right now, there's a big push in the United Nations to create these, the, these uh, hate speech laws. And we see it very strongly, especially where I'm at right now in Sweden. Um, in Sweden, uh, the whole Middle East has blown up. And I've been very proud of Sweden to hang on. Uh, because what has happened is, is that protesters have come to Sweden and are burning the Quran in front of the mosques and in front of different um, embassies, including the the uh, the Turkish embassy. And uh, the EU, 
the U.S., um, and many countries in, throughout the Middle East are having massive protests against Sweden because Sweden re- refuses to create a law to restrict this free speech. In England, you can't do this. In the, most of the EU, you can't do this. But in Sweden, you can. You can protest by burning the Quran. And in fact, the Muslims tried to do the same by burning the, the uh, Torah and the Bible in front of the Israeli consulate as well as in front of uh, different uh, European and American embassies and consulates, uh, but uh, Sweden let it stand. So what has happened is that the e- the the UN as well as the EU have been trying to pass these these anti hate uh, speech laws and the the these laws that would protect religions and and protect you know uh, them against hate speech. And but really, it is led in the EU and the UN, or sorry, just the UN. In the UN is being this charge is being led by Pakistan. There are many people that are breaking blasphemy laws, which are essentially the same thing as these anti-hate speech laws within the the UN. They are try, Pakistan is leading the charge for what they have in their own country is these blasphemy laws. Now, people are being charged, Christians are being charged all over the world for blasphemy, but more in Pakistan than almost any other country. In fact, up to 10 times more than any other country in the world. Um, Pakistan is the largest abuser of throwing people in jail, Christians in jail for what they call blasphemy. And blasphemy, by the way, can just say that you don't believe in the Quran, or you don't believe that Muhammad was a good person, or you believe that Muhammad owned slaves, which he did, or that he was a pedophile, which he was, and he was a warlord and killed Christians and Jews, which he did. Um, By saying those things, which are historical facts, you can be charged with blasphemy. Um, Also, young girls are being kidnapped almost every day in Pakistan. Young Christian girls that go to Catholic school or Christian schools are being sought after by predators taken by 50, 60-year-old men, young girls that are even prepubescent, being taken, uh, kidnapped, raped, and because they're being raped, then they're forced into the marriage by Pakistani law and then forced to convert to Islam by their husband. And once they become Muslim, their Christian parents are no longer allowed to uh, have any conversation with them at all, and there's no law protecting these young girls. One woman is a woman by the name of Shagufta. Shagufta was a believer, a mother. Um, she had a, a small children, was raising them, and a um, handicapped husband. Um, she worked at a Christian school that the Muslims really wanted to get rid of. So there was a there was a, a campaign basically set up saying that she sent uh, text messages with her phone that uh, uh, said bad things against the Prophet Muhammad. That accusation got her thrown in prison. Her handicapped husband hung by his feet in the police station, beaten in front of Shagufta and her children, and told him, if you do not confess, if your wife does not confess to this, we're going to strip her naked, which happens in Pakistan, march her through the streets, let men rape her, and then she will be executed. This, I mean, this happens all the time with people being stripped naked and then killed in the streets of mob justice. And so the family, fearing for their lives, signed a confession that put Shagufta in prison on death row. So she was to be executed by being hung. The problem with her charges was that she's illiterate. She doesn't know how to read or write and has never owned a mobile phone. 
So she was she had no chance to uh, combat the idea that you're innocent until proven guilty is not a Pakistani uh, justice idea. Um, the ability, she was not even allowed to be in the courtroom while her case was being decided. She had to listen outside of the courtroom and was sentenced to death uh, and had to go through extremely horrible situation for eight years before uh, she finally was was rescued from prison. Phenomenal story about how her faith kept her strong. Her belief in Jesus became even even stronger and she became a witness for Christ in Pakistan, as well as here in the EU. Powerful, powerful story. Wow. Uh, and you're you're writing that currently, right? Uh, yes, I am. There's so many things that I can't add. Miracles and visions and prophecies that God gave her. She didn't even know she had the gift of prophecy until she found herself in prison. And as she began to prophesy, it changed the lives of her fellow prisoners. Crazy, crazy story. And that's the era that we're in, isn't it? We're, we're in the, we're in the, I used, I did a TV program where we met actually was when we were doing Zola. Uh, I did one called the, uh, the times of the signs, not signs of the times, but the times of the signs. We're in that place where we're really reaching for a need, the supernatural touch of God. I see it in my counseling practice all the time. I see it here and there now and then around the world, but you're talking about some very specific Hand oh God stuff on people's lives. It's really incredible. And so I, I, we're globe hopping, but I, because for time's sake, let's go to Iran, uh, one of my favorite places. Tell me what's happening. Yeah. So in, in Iran, I just have this amazing brother. We've been kind of working with him for a while. He's one of the few people that is able to move in and out of Syria with no problem. Um, he is also uh, able to move in and out of like Afghanistan and several other nations. He's been working in those nations for a while, but his background story, I never really heard until he said, you know what, Eugene, um, I'm retiring now and I would like to tell my story. And I was like, sure. So I was ready to hear, you know, his, his exploits on the field. He ended up telling me things that I had no clue about. I had to go back and research to verify because they were so incredible and almost unbelievable that it was very hard for me to un, to 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 really truly believe that what he was telling me was not complete bs and so i'm sitting there i'm listening to him and i'm like dude what wait a minute wait a minute and i've never known him he's a very soft-spoken very even-keeled individual he's not excited at all he's he's um, a, a, a kind of a, a a bit of a of an academic almost um it turns out that he was the grandson of one of the ayatollahs in Iran, and he was trained to be a mullah. And at a very young age, he decided that instead of being a mullah, he wanted to be an, an, an officer in the Iranian army like his father. And he ended up being the youngest military officer ever in uh, Iranian history also became a bodyguard for the Shah on the night the Shah had to escape from Iran in 1979. And so he told me things that will blow your mind away. For instance, just really quick, because this is important. This is just a little bit of a nugget that, that you'll get in this book, things you've never heard. He told me the idea that the, the, uh, during protests, I did not know this. The military was not allowed to load their weapons. The Shah forbid it. 
Um, he told them that they could only use rubber bullets. But I said, but I know that there were people that were shot in those protests in 1979 during the Islamic revolution in Iran. He said, yes, those were Palestinians that secretly came into the, to the uh, country and shot protesters so that it would drum up international support. And, um, he said he knows for a fact that he, because he was in charge of his men, that nobody was allowed to have ammunition. And he was there with the top general and the Shah on the night that he departed. And he said, sir, the top general told the Shah, give me the word and I will end these protests in less than 24 hours. And the Shah said, no, any leader that has to enforce his rule by gun has no business being the leader of the people. And so he got on a plane and he left without uh, ordering any slaughter on the people. Um, he, he witnessed that personally. Um, and then he became a, um, a black agent uh, leading the military war against Iraq, pulling off some uh, secret uh, missions behind enemy lines in Iraq, blowing up oil uh, reserves and depots and um, doing high risk missions, getting shot several times, including dying at one point, taken to the morgue and then coming back to life in the morgue. Um, and um, he became a war hero and his job was to teach Islam to the military. And during the time that he was teaching Islam, he becomes a believer and wow. uh, he's the very first Christian to ever be put on death row under the, the current Iranian regime. And the story of him while he's in prison is one that you'll never forget, including the queen herself getting involved in his case. The queen we need to make movies, man. I know you've done Chasing Revival, and it's incredible. I had the privilege of being a small part of that. And we wanted to Chasing Legacy, talk about the Hebrew roots of the faith. That's on the docket. But man, oh man, these these things have got to be made into movies. They're incredible stories. And people, I call movies the 21st century parables because people, can it can bypass their either their intellectual laziness because they won't read or their incapacity because they have a five-second attention span or just the fact that we've become so hyper that we need the visual and the audio together. But these stories are alive. Yeah, they really are. And one of the things that I've been trying to do, and I've really felt this kind of uh, calling on my life specifically, is to make sure these stories don't die with the people that carry them. Exactly. I, I, it's very easy sometimes to hear these stories and be blown away by them. But... It, those stories don't belong to us. They belong to God's people. They belong to generations that will come after us to give testimony to what God has done. And it's important that these testimonies are shared because it is the continuation, I believe, of the book of Acts, that we continue on that, that story of the church, that we are now in chapter 2147, whatever it might be, that as the church, we continue on from that moment when Jesus was on the Mount of Olives and his church began to grow. This is the, the, the book of Acts in the Bible. It is the, the story that is brought to us by the Jewish people, but it's our story for all of humanity. And yes. these stories that I'm writing don't belong to the people that have them. They don't belong to me that writes them. They belong to the church, the body of Christ, because they are 
given by Christ and they have to be given back to Christ. If that makes sense. Oh gosh, beyond sense, brother. That is brilliant. It's poetic and true. Uh, I want to go full circle as we close. Um, thinking about, you know, your, your gratitude because we're able to interact around personal things. And, and I, I wanted to tell you that a few weeks ago, Catherine and I were on TV into Tehran out of Dallas with wow. Hormoz Shariat. You may know him. Yes, I, uh, I know him very well. Joel, Joel Rosenberg calls him the Billy Graham of Iran. And the reason they wanted us on there, we've, we've had him on our TV for back in the day and we've been on Chabagala. Anyway, and he's been on this program. He's been on this podcast several times, but he wanted us to talk from the marriage therapist point of view to the Muslims that were coming to coming to faith in Tehran, uh, and to kind of do a marriage counseling show with them uh, that was translated into Farsi. As we were, I think in post production, most of it he spoke a little bit in Farsi, and then I think post production they translated. But I tell you, the the thing that was so fantastic to me was that we were able to kind of you know give some tools out in this and that. I'm leading towards a question for you. But the highlight, which you'll love, is that when Catherine gave an altar call for salvation, Eugene, the glory of the Lord filled the studio. And it was so profound. I'm weeping and they're weeping. And, and, and when the program ended, they had us pour oil on and lay hands on the entire production crew. Wow. And pray over them and, you know, Hebrew and English, et cetera, because we, we, we just felt like there's something about that threefold cord, you know, the, the, the church at large in Israel and Iran, there's something there that is uh, very prophetic, obviously, Jeremiah 49, et cetera. But, but the, the profundity of people coming from Sharia, coming from uh, maybe sort of a nominal Islam, I'm sure there's every stripe of Muslim as there are everywhere else, uh, of Christian, every religion. But can you talk a little bit about that? What's it like for believers New believers coming out of Islam are learning what marriage is kind of supposed to look like in the New Testament going forward, Hebrew, in the Judeo-Christian model. Well, I mean, it's, it's, it, it's phenomenal that you say that because I just wrote a book that was mainly about marriage uh, in some way from Iran. Um, actually, Hormoz has, uh, who you said you were on his program, Hormoz's niece, I just wrote her story and it will be out September 26th of this year. Um, her story is, in, it'll be in a book called uh, I Didn't Survive. Uh, and Hormoz was the one who secretly led her to Christ. Just a little backstory, which is kind of cool. Uh, Hormoz came to America as an engineer. Um, yes. and, and he was working with, um, I believe it was um, Boeing. So I believe he was working with Boeing and he stepped down from that to be, yes. or no, it was Lockheed. I think it was Lockheed Martin he was working with. And well, his, PhD, his PhD is in artificial intelligence, which is kind of a time. Yes. Rate. Yeah. He, I mean, he's a crazy smart uh, guy who came uh, to America um, and went to university here. I think he might've gone to Berkeley. I'm not sure. Um, I actually just read his story in Swedish. Um, uh, about a year ago. Um, but anyway, uh, yeah. So, um, his niece or his brother, let's say his brother came to America and brought his children because his son was being recruited by the Iranian army at that time, at the age of seven years old to be a mine, to be a minesweeper. 
And so what they would do, the Iranian military would just send out these seven-year-old boys to go and die for Allah. And they would go and walk until they found a mine. And when the mine would go off, then the army would know, okay, well, we can walk that way. It's safe now. And so these kids were just cannon fodder. And so that in order to save his son, Hormoz's brother came to California. And, um, yes. and he was a Muslim and did not know that Hormoz was a Christian. And... Um, uh, the boy, the little boy that uh, was the brother, he had a vision of Jesus in a dream, came to his uncle Hormoz when his parents were gone and told him about Jesus. And the daughter was there as well. And Hormoz baptized them both and led them to Christ. The parents freaked out, decided never to talk to Hormoz again, and then moved with their family to Idaho because there were too many Christians in California. <laughs> and so they said, let's move to Idaho where there's no Christians. So they moved to Idaho, um, and uh, she became a believer and then moved back to Iran as a missionary and began to lead the largest house church movement in all of Iran under her uncle Hermos. So it's a very, very powerful story about marriage and how a marriage came apart while on the mission field. Very open, raw story. But her husband is a former Muslim and he's able to tell the story or we tell his story for him, I, I should say, about that transition of what marriage looks like in Islam and what it looks like in Christianity. And it's that's wow. not an easy transition because in Islam, women are owned. We don't have that in the Bible. I mean, no matter what you see, if you've been out to watch the latest Barbie movie about the male patriarchy, I'm telling you, it is a lot better to be married and to be a female in a Christian Judaic setting than it is a an Islam, a Muslim setting. Um, well, and a Christian husband. Yes, uh, yeah, exactly. In in Iran, um, the it's it's actually considered to be um, allowed by law and taught by law uh, under the the um, uh, Ayatollah Khomeini, who wrote a book about how to properly uh, whip your wife um, if she gets out of line, how to properly beat her until she is submitted to your authority. Um, that transition is not an easy one when going from Islam into Christianity. Um, I wrote about the dark side of things when some of that is carried over, carried over from a former Muslim, even when they become redeemed in Christ, carrying over a lot of those characteristics and attributes, which are, uh, um, uh, embraced in Islam taught in Islam, but then abandoned when you become a Christian. Um, that is not an easy transition, and it is one in which Muslims need prayer. Because yes. though we are saved and redeemed, there are still certain things that grip onto us and hang on to us. And our salvation is certain, but our um, uh, going through the trials is a process. And that process, I mean, you can you can speak about this better than I can. Um, I mean, I've sat under your counseling just briefly just this year, and some of the things you revealed to me was absolutely phenomenal. But I've been able to see an indoor peak behind the scenes of that very thing, the transition of what takes place in marriage um, when a Muslim uh, husband becomes a believer. Yes. And that's, you know, it, it, it's a, an extreme example of something that comes up in every couple from different backgrounds, which is every couple almost, uh, that uh, we, we need to let, let yield our cultural and our family of origin backgrounds 
yield that to create a heavenly culture in the home. And that obviously can only come through Yeshua and the Holy Spirit. Brother, I've got to go. I have sessions. I have to work for a living. (laughs) I want to say thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, Can you just say a prayer for for our audience that they would get be able to to live locally serve locally and serve in their local church be part of their local community but also never forget our brothers and sisters around the world yes absolutely god you are so awesome we come humbly and submit ourselves before you we pray that somehow supernaturally your word and your spirit will flow out of the speakers of the phone or the car or the bluetooth speaker that someone might be listening to this podcast on and completely transform their lives in a way that is supernatural only you can do may they walk away from this podcast never the same not being not only looking at themselves inwardly and looking for a change that will bring more of you into their lives but also see themselves as a social changer in their own community and a world changer on the stage of this world that you have called us to reach until the final tribe has been reached with your good news we thank you for this opportunity to serve and we pray that your word not return void in your holy name amen thank you so much brother really love being with you i do too and that was a classic Hope behind the headlines. I mean, you just nailed it. I'm going to stop the recording. Say lehitra ot shalom shalom. We say lehitra ot until I see you again. And shalom. May you have peace. You, you and your bride and your family and your growing family. Hallelujah. I'll see you soon. <laughs> <laughs>